Spirit, you are welcome here. Would you move? God, would you speak your heart through the words that you give me? The things that you have been teaching throughout this week. We believe that your word is living and active. So we open ourselves up to it. Say what you want to say. Speak to each one of our hearts exactly what we need to hear. By the power of your Holy Spirit, in the precious name of Jesus, amen. 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 I missed you guys. Uh, for those who haven't, thank you. For those who haven't uh, been here recently, I've, I've gone the past two Sundays. Um, and oh, I miss my family. Um, it was so nice. It was nice. The first week I was at a retreat, um, it went wonderfully to the young retreat, and we had a fantastic time. Um, and then last week, I was uh, about three hours away at a different church, um, sharing about what we're doing here um, with a church that has decided to give their Easter offering to Renew. And so it was wonderful. I used to work at that church, so I got to see a lot of great people and spend time with my grandma. Um, but I miss my church family. I did. I missed you all. And um, one of the reasons I think that I missed you all but kept coming up as I was preparing the sermon because um, so much of the Gospel of Luke um, is about liberation. Hmm. Luke's Gospel is the liberation gospel. Over and over in his Gospel, the Jesus that he shows us is a Jesus who's reaching out to the forgotten, who's showing his followers how to see the world a different way. Um, who's telling them, who's essentially upending what they think about God and who God is and what God's called them to, and um, changing around the sort of normative way that things were done. Um, so as I'm prepping the sermon, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I am so thankful that I am part of a church that is not stuck in the way things have always been done. Amen. So apparently some of you are thankful for that too. Um, <laughs> We have, I think Dave and I have a deep appreciation just from our stories for things that are often traditional to the church. You know, the service is not that wonky. Um, it's, there are a lot of things that people are used to in a church service. Um, but ever since I have been part of Renew, what I have learned about what Dave brought to this space in this community um, is, is the, the mindset and the heart set to say, okay, God, whatever you want. Something needs to change? Okay, we can try something different. We need to mix it up a little bit. That's fine. Um, that's part of, it's not, I think it's more than just a go with the flow attitude. It's, I think it is an openness um, to God being bigger than we think God might be. And I'm so, so thankful for that. Um, the ministry in the Gospel of Luke, um, one theologian put it, is nothing less than the restoration of men and women to their proper dignity mm -hmm. as children to their proper dignity as children of God. Amen? Amen? And he does that through parables a lot because parables help Jesus to show a picture of the world that's inverted from what people think it is, that's different than what they think it is, and makes them have to kind of figure it out a little bit. And, and I think Jesus loves doing that. I think Jesus loves making us work a little bit to figure out what he's saying, um, to not be passive in the way that we take in information. And that's all what the season of Lent is about, amen? Yeah. It's active waiting. 
We're waiting for Easter, for that death and resurrection, but we're active about it. We're not just sitting. We're not just listening. We're being moved to action by what we're learning and by who Jesus is. And um, also in the book of Luke, Jesus does these things in a very local way. It's a lot of personal interactions. It's meals together. And the story that we're looking at today is a meal. Um, people are sitting down and eating together. Um, and, it, and it highlights the community piece of salvation. That salvation is the restoration of community and relationships. It's not just, hey, I need to try and get to heaven. And I think we do that too much sometimes. And you see it, even if you listen to Christian radio, I'll try sometimes, listen to some Christian radio, and, and see how many of the songs, one after another, are I and me. My faith, my experience. And that's not bad, and it's not wrong, but that's not the full picture. So, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus uses these parables to say, it's not exactly what you think it is. Let's try something different. And we get to step into that, um, and we get to be part of that reorientation about who is included in the Gospel message. Um, Salvation for Luke, the way that the way that Luke saw Jesus living and then decided to put it into words, is about belonging. Salvation is belonging. And so the sermon that a friend preached while I was at Westside Church last weekend um, spoke to this so beautifully. He was talking about how a lot of times the church, Christians, we have this order of the way things go. And we say, say, Dave, we're glad you came to church today. It's nice to see you. Thank you for visiting. Here are the ways that you need to behave. Okay? If you behave those ways, then you'll be able to believe the things that we believe. And if you believe the things that we believe, then you can belong in our community. Behave leads to belief, which leads to belonging. Right? That happens a lot. You need to act this certain way. You need to look this certain way. You need to do these certain things. And then you can be part of us. And the whole Gospel of Luke says, no, 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 no. Belonging is first. You belong. Bottom line, period. You belong here. And then let's have a conversation about who Jesus is. And what it means to believe in Jesus. And then behaving, the Holy Spirit's going to move in you. And you're going to change. So we're not, we're not going to focus on that. So we can't say that people are saved without saying that they're entirely welcome. And that's the picture that this story gives us. So we just need to be ready to make more room at our table. Amen? Mm -hmm. So the setting of the story, the Jewish um, culture, Jewish context, we need to know where the story comes from. Um, in that time, uh, that having dinner, the dinner that they're talking about, is not the same as the dinner we have now. It's not like go into a house and then into a dining room and then there are walls everywhere and you're just with whoever you invited. It was very communal, particularly if it was a meal at a Pharisee's house because the Pharisees were the religious leaders. So it's the pastor, it's the priest, it's whoever it is that has a lot of knowledge about the Torah. And like Dave mentioned, a lot of this was verbal. So when the Pharisees had a dinner, a lot of times it was kind of like the good old boys coming together to discuss theology. The, the educated people who actually had all the Torah memorized would come together and they would talk to each other about God, and then anyone else could show up 
and listen and learn because of the way that traditions were carried on orally and the way that information was passed along. So that's how people learned is they would go to these dinners and sit around while the Pharisees, the rabbis, the teachers would talk about God. So picture like, like a panel discussion, right? Like we do those sometimes now where we have all the different experts up front and sometimes we talk to each other and ask questions or go back and forth about whatever the, the topic is. Um, but pretend they're all eating dinner, and you're not. Like, they're just up here eating dinner, and then you are there listening to them have a panel discussion and eat food. That's the setting. So, in that, in that context, we see that Jesus had been invited because he knew a lot of stuff. So they knew he had knowledge, right? And we see that the woman um, was not uninvited. She didn't, she didn't barge in on something. There were probably a lot of people around. Um, so... It's important to, to recognize that um, the woman wasn't in the wrong place. She was in the right place. She was allowed to be there. She wanted to learn, and anyone was able to learn. Now, only the people at the table could speak, so only the men who were, who were part of whatever conversation was happening, this, this being Pharisees and Jesus, the teachers could speak and everyone else could listen and soak it up. Um, and there are similar stories to this one in other books and actually all the other Gospels. Um, but the difference being that um, in the other Gospels, there's a story of a woman who anoints Jesus' head with oil. Um, and when I was first doing this, I was like, oh, it's the, the other version of that. Um, and I, was, I st stood corrected because um, in that story, not only did the woman anoint Jesus' head with oil um, and the disciples are the ones who responded versus the Pharisee, um, but Simon, in the other stories, is labeled, he's Simon the leper. So he, at one point, had leprosy, likely was healed by Jesus. In this one, for Simon the Pharisee to be labeled a Pharisee, chances are, almost certainly, he was not the same Simon who had had leprosy. Because in that time, they were so concerned about purity and rituals that to have a block on his story of, of leprosy, he would never have made it all the way back to Pharisee. Maybe he was a Pharisee and fell out of sorts. Some people are thinking that way, but, but chances are he would not have been able to get back to that position if that was him. So this is probably a different story. Um, but the other thing about this story is that it, it comes earlier in the gospel. It doesn't, it's not, the other stories are um, kind of a anointing for burial. It's that sort of imagery. And this one isn't. This is just a woman pouring out her love for her Savior. And the three main characters in the story are Jesus, the unnamed woman, and Simon. There are other people around, but those are the three main characters. Um, Jesus, we see leading up to that point in the book of Luke, Luke tells us about how Jesus has been teaching, right? So Jesus has been teaching, preaching. Jesus has been doing miracles. Um, Jesus was uh, announced by the prophet John the Baptist. Um, there are all these signs that sort of lead up to this point where Jesus... While some people were still like, I don't really know how this fits with my expectations for a Messiah, there was enough there for them to be convinced that Jesus was special. That there's something different about who he was. Um, and the Old Testament prophecies about the Savior, whenever the Messiah would come, um, Simon would have known about those prophecies because he was versed in the Torah. Now, he may not have seen all of the connections at the time, and maybe it was just enough for him to to 
push it aside and say, well, that's not, that's not actually a fulfillment of the prophecy. But he would have known. He probably would have had a little bit of knowledge about, oh, that, that's an interesting coincidence that this happened to Jesus and that the Old Testament writings say this would happen to the Savior. So there's a little bit of that, but Simon didn't know for sure if Jesus was the Messiah. Probably why I invited him over. Um, we read just a few verses earlier, verses 16 and 17. It says that after Jesus raised the little boy from the dead, um, the people were saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has truly visited us. This was the report that spread about Jesus throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So Jesus was special, and everyone knew it. There was no way around it. And the woman is one of the people that knew it. Chances are she was part of that, that crew that we often, when we talk about the sinners and the tax collectors. She's part of that crew probably. She seems to know something about who Jesus was. That he was someone who could offer her what she had never been offered before. And so she comes into the story and she's only described as sinful. Um, in another translation it says a woman of ill repute. She had a bad reputation. We don't know what it was. Um, a lot of people like to say that she was a prostitute. Um, she might have been, but I'm going to push back on that because I feel like the point is not what her sin was. That's not the point. Um, the point is that she was sinful in a very public way. Everyone knew. Um, and back at the time, you could be a sinner essentially one of two ways. You could be morally flawed. You did bad things, things that were obviously against the law of God. And you could, or you could be um, ritually incompetent, like you couldn't fulfill the rituals. So that's why folks with diseases um, who couldn't be clean, or um, women when they were menstruating, were considered essentially sinful because they were unclean. So those are the two ways. So we know that that everyone at the time saw her as somebody who could not be clean in God's eyes. And people, um, scholars, a lot of times when they sort of turn toward that, she was a prostitute place. It's because um, she lets her hair down to wipe Jesus' feet, and to let your hair down at the time was scandalous. Um, you don't, women did not show their hair, and so there's this assumption that, well, if she was willing to let her hair down, that means she was probably part of a group of people that did that more often, and so she was more willing to do something scandalous in public. But this is the point I want to make. We don't know what her sin is, and it doesn't matter, because the fact that she let her hair down to wipe Jesus' feet, to clean them off, showed that she was desperate. Mm. And how often have you felt so desperate because of shame? Or maybe it's a desperation out of gratitude. Maybe you're so thankful, because that's part of hers too. She's so grateful for what Jesus has done, that she is willing to do something that is not often done because of how immense her feelings are toward her Savior. So it's not so much what her sin was, but it was what was going on inside her, what was welling up inside her, the fact that she was willing to disregard societal norms because the love that she felt for this man was so deep and was so real, was so radical that she couldn't do anything else. However, Simon um, obviously was not a fan of that. Simon is our third main character. Um, and 
Here I am getting finally to the point. Simon is our person of interest this morning. I think a lot of times when um, we when we look at this passage, um, we rightfully consider the, the forgiveness um, piece, and we focus on the forgiveness of God and the, the rejoicing of the woman. Um, but I want us to consider Simon for a minute. Simon was a Pharisee, okay, top of the top, knew all the things, was in the high society, and he invites Jesus over to, the house, to his home for dinner. Now, we don't know exactly why he invited Jesus. He could have been totally, I love you, I believe you, you know, I'm going to disregard what my other friends are saying. Chances are, he invited Jesus over because he was a little bit suspicious. A little bit like, I'm not really sure about this guy. But, you know, I could ask a few questions, and the people would probably like it. would probably get a lot of people to come over here and hear what I have to say. So chances are he brought him over more so to, like, figure him out. But he wasn't quite certain that Jesus was who he said he was. And we see this, one, because he doesn't offer the typical hospitality that someone would at the time. He doesn't give Jesus water to wash his feet. He doesn't... Um, he doesn't, the anointing, anointing somebody might have been for a little bit higher honor, which would have been valid to do that for Jesus, but he doesn't even go there. Um, and he doesn't give him sort of the, the greeting, the kiss on the cheek greeting. Now, it seems to me like Simon was really curious, but he wasn't quite really willing to go all in. Like, oh, I'll invite this guy, I'll let him say his piece, but I'm gonna not, I'm not going to tell him I'm sure about him by treating him the way I would someone, other teacher. So he kind of like puts that distance between him and Jesus. And then, and then, when Jesus doesn't stop the woman from crying on his feet, he thinks, if this man were a prophet, then he would know what kind of woman this was. If this man were a prophet. Obviously he wasn't convinced. If this man were who he said he was, then, get this, then he would do things the way I think they should be done. If Jesus is the person that Jesus claims to be, then he would teach about things the way I would teach about them. If Jesus was who he claimed to be, then he would love people the way I think they should be loved. Are you catching how ridiculous that sounds? That somehow, Jesus being Jesus means that Jesus is going to fit into our box. That Jesus is going to do things the way we think they should be done. And how often do we do that just in life? I mean, I do it every time I go to the mechanic. I'm like, if you were a really good mechanic, you wouldn't charge me so much for this. Right? We do, we do it in relationships. If you really loved me, you would love me the way I want to be loved. Or if you really believed that I loved you, you would receive my love exactly how I want to give it to you. 
Did that, how well did that work? <laughs> Every time. Every time. Do you see where we're going with this? It's, there's something about where Simon is that is stuck. That has limited who God could be. Because he heard everything. He had heard what the people said. Truly, this is God with us. This man is a prophet. He knows that Jesus had been healing people. He knows that Jesus had raised people from the dead. He knows what Jesus had taught. Because that was his job, was to know what was being taught. And still, if this man were a prophet, he would know who this woman was. So, something that we've talked a lot about um, at Renew is the concept of bound set and centered set. And mm -hmm. these are the slides that I have for them. And uh, in this story, um, Simon and the woman are, I feel like, fantastic examples of this bound set and centered set. So, the concept is that if we consider life with Christ, to be something that can happen within certain bounds. You need to be a certain way, and then you're in. Behave a certain way, believe a certain thing, and then you're in. You're part of our group. You belong to the Christian community, right? And that's exactly what Simon was saying. Obviously, Jesus doesn't know that this woman is not in. Or he wouldn't have to do what he did. Okay? The woman had experienced God's grace through Christ. So the woman knew it doesn't matter if I'm in. No matter where I am, I can move toward Jesus. Right? So we're not to the cross yet. This is our example. For them, it was more of who God is. But Simon's view of Jesus was impacted by what he thought the world should be like. And not only that, but the woman, I can't even imagine how much gratitude must have been filling her because she literally physically experienced this. Because the temple had walls, multiple walls. Priests, Pharisees, religious leaders, they could go into the innermost, they could get the closest to God. And then there was literally a wall keeping regular people out of the innermost part of the temple. And then there was another wall keeping women out of the next part of the temple. And then someone like this woman probably couldn't even enter the temple. So she was literally living in a bounded set, forced to live that way by someone like Simon, by the people who said, this is who God is, and God cannot be anything else. But she had experienced God's grace in such a radical way that she couldn't live like that anymore, anymore, even though all the people around her, the society that she lived in, told her that was the only way to live. So she blew the place up. <laughs> she touched Jesus. She said, she said, I can't do that because it doesn't fit with what I've experienced of who God is. And this is why I wanted you to write who God is up on that board. Because I wrote love up on that board. 
And someone else wrote love up on that board. I think someone else wrote love up on that board. And my experience of love is different than your experience of love. And that's beautiful. And that's great. And yes, there, I think there are some bottom lines about God being good. But this is why we do community uh, in a space like this. This is why we pursue diversity in our family here, you know, is because I need to know what you experience of God so that I don't keep God right here. Only being what I have experienced. Because Simon could never have known what that woman knew of Jesus. Because of the privilege that Simon had. Simon had not been outcast. Simon was educated. Simon was male in a patriarchal society. So for Simon to assume that this woman's experience of Jesus was completely invalid kept him from knowing more about the God that he was trying to serve. And it's true. He was trying to serve God. That's the thing I think sometimes we overlook about the Pharisees. They were trying really hard. They put in a lot of work. It was not just, hey, we believe this thing, and so we're just going to go about our lives. Like, they worked really hard. I can't even imagine trying to keep all the little tiny laws that they decided needed to be kept. And the things they added on to God's law. Like, it must have been hard. So it wasn't like they were just coasting. But I would imagine that because they worked so hard, the thought of opening up what they had learned through all their hard work to the input or the experience of somebody who hadn't put in that hard work probably terrified them. Because then what do you do? What do you do with all the work you've done? What does it mean? Is it, is it just worth nothing? So, Jesus takes what Simon was thinking about who he was, and just like in every other parable, um, essentially reverses it. Last week, Pastor Dave talked about the parable of the prodigal son, the loving father. And that one does the same thing at, at its heart. It reverses what people thought. Um, it's a story that makes people step outside what they're used to and see things a little bit differently and changes the norms of what people, who people think God is. And I feel like, sorry, that was a burp, excuse me. <laughs> and I feel like um, I, just in the past few weeks, month-ish, um, God's been doing this for me. God's been upending things for me. Um, I have a, a wonderful spiritual director that I meet with once a month. And in two meetings ago, we were talking about um, just kind of who God is, who I've known God to be. And I was feeling, I think, frustrated because I, you know, wasn't doing the things that I thought I should be doing. I wasn't, you know, having my quiet time the way I wanted to because I knew that would get me closer to God and it just wasn't happening. And I was choosing not to. Anyway, I was probably really worked up. I get uptight sometimes. And uh, so, my, so my spiritual director, Sweet Mary, she looks at me and she goes, well, what if when you are feeling like you've done something wrong and you need to get back into God's good graces, what if God wasn't across the table wagging his finger at you? What if God was right next to you saying, what are we going to do? How are we going to 
face this. We're in this together. And I was like, I think I actually did that. I think I just stared at her. <laughs> because I had never, I had never lived that way. I have my seminary degree. I am the associate pastor of this church. Mm -hmm. And for probably nearly my entire life, God had been the one that was waiting for me to get it right so that I could come back into relationship. If I mess up, God was like, all right, fix it up. I want, I want to be with you, but you really need to take care of that so that you can get back closer to me. And y'all, that's not how it is. What if God was on our team? What if God wasn't the angry coach on the sidelines, yelling when we missed something, or telling us that we needed to do that better or this differently if we wanted to actually win the game? What if God was our teammate? What if God was with us? What if when we messed up, or something happened to us, or we, our lives didn't look the way we thought they should look, what if God was like, all right, how are we going to face this? What are we going to do? And that is exactly what Jesus shows both the woman and Simon in this. We're in this together. I'm not her angry coach. I don't need to harp on her about the things she's done wrong. We don't even, it doesn't even tell us what she did. That's how little it mattered. What mattered was the fact that she was living into the greatest commandment. When Jesus is asked in the book of Matthew, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. That's exactly what she was doing. The love that she had for who Jesus was and what Jesus had done was more than she could handle. And so she wept at his feet and she let her hair down and wiped his feet with her tears, and she anointed his feet with precious perfume. Because she realized that Jesus was on her team when no one else was. And yes, Simon's question, if Jesus were a prophet, this is how it would look. Jesus answered that essentially, because Jesus forgave the woman, one, he knew what Simon was thinking. And then he forgives the woman for her sins. So Jesus basically answers the question that, yes, I am a prophet. Yes, I am who I say I am. But it doesn't look the way you thought it was going to look. And I think that that still is going on. Sometimes we think that God is supposed to look a certain way. That God's love is supposed to show up a particular way for us or for others. That God's justice has to fit what I'm comfortable with. That someone's story that is so different than my, from my own that I can barely make sense of it, they need to experience God the way I do. Or else they're not really experiencing God. And Jesus is here to tell us, not just in this story, the whole book of Luke, that he is there to offer forgiveness and belonging to the people that we say don't get the 
That's what Jesus offers. So when Simon said, if Jesus were a prophet, he's wanting Jesus to fit into this notion that he has created so that he can feel better about himself. And I understand that. I understand that things fit the way they should be. I feel better about myself when I'm ready, prepared, and it, you know, serves all the purposes that I needed it to serve. But let me tell you, there is freedom in letting that go. There is freedom in letting God be bigger than we can imagine. There is freedom in saying, I don't know much about your story, but I trust that God met you. That's the mutuality. That's what was created in this moment, was a community of mutuality that hadn't been known at the time because that setting wasn't mutual. At the table, the men are lying around, the educated men are lying around, the educated healthy men are lying around, and everyone else is on the outside, literally a bounded set. And Jesus decides to completely upend that and change it and invite people in who had never been invited in before. And that's the beauty of us being willing to allow to, to have what we believe about who God is and who's included be reoriented. Is that we get something beautiful like an actual community meal instead of a dinner panel discussion. <laughs> Jesus turns the tables and he says, Simon, you're the one who didn't welcome me. You're the one who did wasn't hospitable to me. This woman took care of everything I needed. She lavished hospitality on Jesus. Even though she was the one who people thought didn't know anything about God because she wasn't allowed in. So because Jesus is who he says he is, things are not how we think they should be. And sometimes that's intimidating but I would rather let Christ decide who's in than to have that on me. I would rather let Christ decide what that set looks like than me making the rules about who's in and who's out. He offers her forgiveness not because of what she did, not because she washed his feet, not because she anointed him, because if it was about what she did, then Simon, if he had done those things when he walked in, he would have been forgiven automatically. It was about where that came from. It was about the understanding that she had about who Jesus was and the love that she allowed to pour out of her in whatever way it needed to. Simon couldn't even conceive of Jesus knowingly allowing that woman to touch him. If Jesus were a prophet, he would know that this woman was a sinner. Because at the time, being a sinner is what kept you away from God. And being touched by a sinner made you unclean. 
He couldn't even fathom that Jesus could know that this woman was a sinner because he was so focused on the rules he'd been following. But holiness is not actually achieved by keeping ourselves separate from sin and sinners. There is the reality of the definition of holiness and God being holy and without sin, but that's not the space that we are required to fill in this world, to tell people that they're not holy enough. Simon wasn't wrong. If Jesus were a prophet, he would know that this woman was a sinner. He was right. Jesus was the prophet, he would know the woman was a sinner, and he did. But Simon was limited. His ideas about God were small. And he wasn't willing to consider that maybe God was bigger than what he thought. So I came across this quote, it's kind of long, so I put it up front for you while I read it. Dario Lopez Rodriguez says that the cost of discipleship discipleship should never lead us to lower the demands of the gospel, to fear proclaiming the good news of liberation to all human audiences at all historic junctures, to change the purpose of God that every knee should bow and tongue confess Jesus as Lord, to limit the concrete implications of the universal nature of the mission that crosses all social and cultural frontiers, or to be ignorant of God's special love for the poor and the marginalized due to our own theological prejudices. We have them. Every single one of us has theological prejudices, things that we believe about God that we don't really want to let go of. That's how we're wired, then you might promise. But we should never let our desire to cling to those keep us from believing that the gospel is the gospel of liberation for all people, for all stories. We can't let what we want to believe about God because it makes us comfortable cause us to limit the concrete implications of the universal nature of the mission that crosses all Social. If we decide that if Jesus is who he says he is, then his message looks the way I want it to look, then we will never understand the fullness of community that Jesus called us to. We will never understand the fullness of the freedom that is the gospel. So that's what I want us to go from here. I want us to remember that. Jesus was who he said he was. And God is a whole lot bigger than we can ever comprehend. And there is a beautiful freedom in allowing that to be true. Amen? Amen. Yes. Can you pray with me?